Welcome to the Two Minute Medicine podcast, summarizing the latest medical studies curated and written by practicing physicians. For a full suite of daily medical study summaries and updates written by practicing doctors, please visit our website at twominutemedicine.com to start reading new daily content right now for free. On this podcast, twice a month, we cover the latest in healthcare news and research evidence. We are your hosts, Deepti and Andrew. On today's episode, we'll start off by discussing our articles of the week. The first article will be about infertility rates amongst female physicians compared to the general population. And the second article will look at resuscitation in neonates with intact versus clamped cords. In the second half of the episode, we will look at health issues that have arisen in popular media. So let's get started with our two articles of the week. Our first article of the week comes from JAMA Network Open and is entitled Family Planning, Fertility and Career Planning Among Female Oncologists. One in four female physicians in the United States experience infertility, a rate more than twice that of the general population. Studies have found that many women delay childbearing for professional advancement, with female physicians having their first child around 7.4 years later than the general population, at a point where they are already considered advanced maternal age. This study surveyed 1,004 female oncologists to understand the barriers to family planning in the context of career, the association of fertility treatment with career decisions, and to assess the experiences of pregnancy-based discrimination among female oncologists. The age of survey participants ranged from 25 to 60 years. Most were married and working full-time, and most also had children. 24.2% of the participants said family planning was associated with their career decision of choosing academic or private practice, and 94.7% stated that their career plans were at least somewhat associated with the timing of when to start a family. Positive factors associated with fertility planning were found to be having a supportive partner, income as an attending physician, having nearby family support, having a female mentor or role model, and having a supportive program during training. Negative factors associated with fertility planning were long work hours and heavy workload, concern for fertility, income as a trainee, lacking nearby family support, and a bad or non-existent maternity leave policy. Additionally, of all the respondents who had been pregnant, two-thirds had some sort of pregnancy complication. One-third of respondents reported having a miscarriage, and one-third reported difficulty with infertility, requiring counseling and or treatment. In addition to difficulties with pregnancy, one-third of respondents did not feel well-supported during training surrounding issues around fertility and pregnancy, including issues such as the absence of maternity leave during training and as an attending physician. Selection bias may be an issue in this study as participants were recruited via email and social media. There may also have been recall bias. Despite these limitations, however, changes to medical education to support female physicians in family planning during their training and early careers may be beneficial. Our second article of the week comes from the Journal of Pediatrics and is entitled Resuscitation with Intact versus Clamped Cord in Late Preterm and Term Neonates, a Randomized Controlled Trial. The benefits of delayed umbilical cord clamping are well-established in uncomplicated births. 
Currently, however, cords are often clamped immediately for neonates needing resuscitation at birth due to logistical challenges initiating positive pressure ventilation, or PPV, with an intact cord. This non-blinded randomized trial sought to examine whether intact cord resuscitation was beneficial based on 5-minute expanded APGAR scores. A total of 496 infants born at or after 34 weeks gestation were randomized before birth to receive delayed or immediate cord clamping if they were born not breathing. A custom resuscitation cart was used for neonates in the intact cord group. Among 71 infants in the intact cord group and 91 in the immediate clamping group who required PPV, median expanded APGAR scores were one point higher at 5 minutes in the intact cord group. Oxygen saturation was significantly higher in the intact cord group at 1, 5, and 10 minutes, as well as at 12 hours, and the rate of oxygen requirement was lower at 12 hours. However, rates of intubation, NICU admission for birth asphyxia, and all-cause mortality did not significantly differ between groups. There is an intuitive argument for easing neonatal transition and maximizing blood flow from the placenta for infants requiring resuscitation, just as for those born breathing. This small randomized study tallies with past studies in more limited populations in showing a benefit for delayed clamping. However, larger, multi-center studies would give further insight into both the physical feasibility of this resuscitation approach at scale and the clinical significance of this benefit. Now for the scan, the pop culture-focused part of our podcast, bringing a medical eye to popular events, we'll start off by talking about an organ donor crisis. So here's the story. Selena Gomez recently came under fire for stating in a Rolling Stone interview that her only friend in the industry is Taylor Swift. Many were quick to point out that the Wizards of Waverly Place star forgot to mention her other industry friend, Francia Reza, the actress known best for her roles in How I Met Your Father and Grownish, and for donating a kidney to Selena Gomez back in 2017. This controversy surfaced right as Gomez's new documentary, My Mind and Me, dropped, which many critiqued for also failing to mention the organ donor. So why did Selena Gomez need a kidney transplant? Selena Gomez was diagnosed with lupus in 2014, which is an autoimmune condition that can cause inflammation and damage to almost any part of the body, such as the skin, kidneys, brain, heart, and lungs. Lupus occurs in women much more frequently than in men, with almost 90% of cases occurring in women of childbearing. As the disease progresses, lupus nephritis can eventually result, which is when the autoimmune response damages the filtering units in the kidneys. This can result in reduced kidney function and even kidney failure. It is when this happens that patients like Selena Gomez look to kidney transplants. Organ transplants are no easy feat. Donated organs can come from the living or deceased donors, which sounds promising, but unfortunately, the need for organ donations far exceeds the supply. There are over 100,000 people on the organ transplant waiting list in the United States, and many people pass away while waiting for a transplant. However, even when an organ becomes available, that is not the end of the story. Donors and recipients have to have compatible blood types and immune proteins called human leukocyte antigens, HLA, to reduce the risk of the recipient's immune system rejecting the donated organ. Having a close friend or relative who is a match, like in the case of Selena Gomez and Francia Reza, can speed along the whole process. 
When taking all of these factors into consideration, a successful organ donation can often seem like a medical miracle. The resurfacing of the Gomez and Reza kidney donation story serves as a reminder of the health complications that arise for those suffering from lupus and of the importance of organ donation. Now let's take a closer look at bipolar disorder. Reality TV shows have never been short of controversial moments, and the Netflix series Love is Blind is no exception. In particular, a recent comment made by one of the show's contestants, where he asked his fiancée if she was bipolar in response to an argument they were having, shocked many viewers. Many fans were upset at the comment as unfortunately, this isn't the first time that the term bipolar has been used in a negative way. So let's delve deeper into this. Bipolar disorder is a mental health condition where people oscillate between extreme highs of emotion, called mania, and extremely low depressive states. It's a common misconception that rapid mood swings are the same thing as bipolar disorder. Rather, episodes, classified by symptoms like enhanced energy, elevated sense of self, and decreased need for sleep, must last for at least seven days to be considered mania, and four to seven days to be considered hypomania. Meanwhile, major depressive episodes, characterized by symptoms like loss of energy and motivation, lack of interest in regular activities, and suicidal thoughts must last at least two weeks. Treatments for bipolar disorder include mood-stabilizing medications such as lithium, psychological support such as cognitive behavioral therapy, and lifestyle changes. Early diagnosis is important because it can result in better response to treatment. However, even with treatment, many patients still deal with multiple relapsing and remitting episodes throughout their lifetime. Bipolar disorder is not uncommon, with more than 4% of Americans expected to receive a diagnosis at some point in their lifetime. And just to add to this, COVID-19 has put even more of a spotlight on bipolar disorder, as many patients have reported worsening of their symptoms during the pandemic. Not to mention that viral infections like COVID-19 can precipitate new cases of bipolar disorder. Next, let's talk about what you need to know about processed foods. We've all been told time and time again that ultra-processed foods are bad for us, but just how bad are they? We know that chips, hot dogs, and other processed foods have health consequences, such as type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and increased risk of obesity, both in individuals and in their offsprings. But recent findings point to a more devastating consequence of our guilty pleasure foods. A recent study in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine found that the consumption of ultra-processed foods was associated with premature death in Brazil. The study found that more than 10% of all premature deaths in adults between the ages of 30 and 69 years of age could be attributed to ultra-processed foods and that reducing the consumption of these foods could significantly decrease the number of premature deaths. What's worse is that the consumption of ultra-processed foods is actually greater in the United States than in Brazil, where the study took place. It's no wonder that ultra-processed foods play such a significant role in our lives. Unhealthy foods are tasty and activate reward pathways in our brains that make us want to keep eating them. Not to mention humans have adapted through evolution to prefer calorie-dense foods with higher energy profiles. But unlike our ancestors, we live in a sedentary environment where calorie-rich foods are plentiful, and so this evolutionary adaption can actually prove to be harmful in modern society. In summary, to reduce your risk of high blood pressure, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and premature death, 
It's best to swap out your bag of chips for an apple or your frozen pizza for some whole foods. The transition may not be easy, but it will definitely be worth it. It's that time of year again. That is, the time of year when people start growing out their beards and mustaches, all in support of Movember. Movember is an annual event that takes place throughout the month of November, where people grow out their facial hair to raise money and awareness for men's health. In the past, many celebrities have joined in on the No Shave November movement to show support. With the focus of Movember being on awareness about men's health, let's take a look at three key topics in men's health. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and mental health. Prostate cancer, which is cancer of the small gland beneath the bladder, is the most common cancer found in men. Testicular cancer, on the other hand, is far less common, however it usually presents in young males under the age of 40, so awareness is key. Although men's cancers are extremely important issues, a recent focus in November has been on men's mental health. Mental health struggles such as depression, anxiety, and eating disorder often not go unreported and undiagnosed in men due to the surrounding stigma. The lack of support and dialogue around men's mental health can have devastating consequences. It has been reported that men account for almost 80% of suicides in the United States. Many have been raising awareness about this issue, including celebrities like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, NBA star Kevin Love, and Olympian Michael Phelps. Whether it's prostate cancer, testicular cancer, or mental health, ditching the razor this month can mean more awareness for some of the biggest issues in men's health. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the 2-Minute Medicine Podcast. New episodes come out every other week, and all of our content has been curated and written by practicing physicians. We'd like to acknowledge the following members of our team for their contributions to this week's episode. Ashley Jackson, Akansha Chala, Alex Chan, Molly Munsell, and Alex Gipsman. Please head to our website at 2minutemedicine.com to learn more and to access all of our content, including medical study summaries, visual abstracts, excerpts from our classics book series, which is available on Amazon, and The Scan, which is our medical newsletter. Thank you so much once again. To make sure that you do not miss any of our content, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter or Instagram at 2minmed.